The following audio is from Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com. Let me invite you to take your copy of God's Word and open to Matthew chapter 6 this morning. Matthew 6, we will, Lord willing, look at three verses. uh, Verses 19, 20, and 21 together. I am beginning a brand new series today that uh, we will look at throughout the month of October. A series I've entitled Entrusted. Now, this is a series about stewardship or about money and possessions. Don't everybody make a mass exodus at this point. Uh, This is one of those series or one of those topics in Scripture that I could not preach if it weren't for the songs that we just sang and the Scriptures that were just read. If, If this were not rooted and grounded in the gospel of Jesus Christ in what we have received in him, then this could be construed as pastoral abuse or um, uh, just, just legalism, uh, something that is, that is man-made. But this comes directly from God and flows out of the gospel. And that's what I want you to see today. As you're turning to Matthew 6, let me just give you some recent research. Uh, Barna Group uh, did a, a recent survey, recent study, and it revealed some interesting facts about generosity among Christians. A majority of Christians consider volunteering, in other words, giving service hours, giving of time, to be a more generous act than giving money. Now, you may think that you know who that is among generations, but I would tell you that there are multiple generations that feel that way, that volunteering is more generous than giving, and it it really flows from the boomers to the Gen Xers to the millennials all the way down. Uh, 80% of all Christians believe it is perfectly acceptable to give time instead of money. Millennials, let me, I'm not picking on you, I love millennials, but millennials in particular prioritize hospitality far more than money as an expression of generosity. And this is sort of the, the currency of our time, uh, is that we would, we would invite one another to spend time together, to be in one another's homes, to, to go to coffee shops together, and to be relational And this is the currency of our day. And while I'm thankful for volunteers, and we're going to ask you at the end of the service to volunteer for our fall festival coming up. We've routinely asked you this for this, and I'm thankful for this. What I want to remind you as your pastor, I would be derelict in my duty if I did not remind you of this, is that while I'm thankful for volunteers, there are real financial needs that that can't be paid with the currency of volunteerism. That there are things here that take place that we have to, uh, we have to pay real money for. Uh, I, during, after the welcome, I came down off the platform and realized that the batteries in my, my microphone pack uh, were, were blinking. They were about to go off. And so I had to go back to the sound booth and get batteries. Batteries are something that's just one of those little things that we have to buy routinely in order to do the things that we do. And you can imagine something as simple as, as two AA batteries. Uh, you can imagine everything else that goes on uh, that, that is a financial need here. Well, I would put forward to you today that biblical Christianity does not allow room to choose between volunteering and giving financially. It's not an either or, it is a both and. Jesus said that he came to serve, not to be served, and that those who were his followers would also be servants. The, the New Testament is, is filled with examples of, of his followers laying down their lives with their time and acts of service. But also, 
the New Testament calls all believers to be generous with what we have. You get started in the, in the church early on in Acts chapter 2, and you see that, that they were selling things that they had in order to provide for the needs, the financial and material needs of those in the community of faith. And so it's not an either-or. It's not volunteering or giving money. It is a both-and. That is part of what it means to follow Christ. Now, I want to just give a caveat also this morning is that this is largely going to be a t- talking to those who are believers. If you are not a Christian here today, please don't hear me saying to you that you just need to give some money to this church and therefore you will buy your way into heaven. It can't be done. If, if you are a visitor of this church, if you are a non-believer, I'm not asking for your money. I do not want your money. We don't want your money. We want you to hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, how you can be set free from your sins. But today, for those who have been set free from their sins, I want you to hear from your pastor a call to biblical obedience in following Christ. This Barna research went on and said that when, when asked uh, what would you consider to be the ultimate financial goal in life, this group that was surveyed, the ultimate financial goal, out of 10 possible answers to serve God with my money ranked number six on the list. Out of 10 possible answers to serve God with my money was number six among Christians. Uh, it, it was a total of just one in 10 that chose that answer. To serve God with with my money was number one among senior adults, and I'm very thankful for our senior adults who are faithful. But I have a question to the rest of us, and I don't want to put them on a pedestal because I understand that we're all sinners still being in this process of being sanctified, right? But I have a question to the rest of us. Are we riding their coattails? Are we mooching off of a generation that has been so faithful to give generously and sacrificially so that we might have a lot of the things that we have in the, in the, the furtherance of the mission of the kingdom, and are we simply riding on their coattails? What will happen to our churches, not just Abner Creek, but what will happen to our churches when this generation goes away? I'm involved right now. I'm nearing the end of a doctoral program in church revitalization. And the reason this program exists is because there are thousands of churches every single year that close their doors. And lots of times it is because of this very reason. There's a generation that has been sacrificial and generous, and there is a generation behind them and and maybe a generation behind them that have not picked up that mantle. And today I want to call you to that. Providing for for my family was one of those possible answers as far as what's the ultimate financial goal. Providing for my family was the number one uh, among all Christians as a whole. And providing for our family is a noble thing, yes. But I would simply pose to you this morning, who created the family? And who loves you? And who loves your family even more than you do? Is it not God? Who owns everything? The cattle on a thousand hills. He's created it all. His fingerprints are on every single thing you can imagine. It's his. He owns it. And who ultimately will provide for you and your family? Is it not God? The Bible tells us that every good gift comes down from the Father of lights. You want to know what the number two selection was among Christians for what is the ultimate financial goal for your money? To support the lifestyle I want to live. Boy, is that not indicting? 
Number two on the list, you have to go down to number six before serve God with my money. But to support the lifestyle I want to live is number two on the list. Can we not see as a congregation, can, I, can we not see as a church that in our day and age we have become so used to a certain way of life that we have used money for something that God never intended it to be used for, that we have perverted it, that we have set it up as an idol. That's why I want to preach this series. Some, some would still say, well, why are you preaching about this, Pastor? I mean, this is one of those things. Aren't you simply going to prolong or, or further the, the stereotypes about preachers? And people think preachers are always talking about money. I would tell you this is not a, a topic that I, can, I come to easy. Uh, I, I come to you with fear and trepidation about this because it's not in my wheelhouse. But I also know that, uh, that I haven't spoken on this very often. I don't do this uh, you know, every month. I don't do this every year even. But it is, it is a, a needed, it is necessary for us that we hear uh, about the issues or the, the subject of money and possessions. So why would I preach this? I, I stole these from John Piper, and I just want to share them to you because I think they're really good. Number one is because it puts me in really good company. Do you know that 15% of everything that Jesus said was about money? That Jesus spoke more about money than he did about heaven and hell combined according to Randy Alcorn. Now, if Jesus sees it as that important, I think I should too. I think Jesus understood and he knew, that just like with the rich young ruler, what an idol money and possessions can be. Remember the conversation that the rich young ruler comes to Jesus? Jesus told him, sell everything you have and come follow me. Give to the poor and, and come, come after me. And, the, and the, the story ends there with him going away sad because the cost was too great. And Jesus understands what an, what an idol, what a hindrance it, this is. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom. Number two, why would I preach about this? Is because if, if we could all be liberated, set free from the stress and the burden and the idolatry associated with money, I think we would be so much happier than we are. I mean, do you realize that the, the, the main pursuit of the world today is happiness? Make me happy. All of these things to make me happy. Make me happy. Make me happy. And what's driving this is because none of the things that we think will make us happy actually do. And we continue to buy into the lie by buying new stuff. And if we could only be set free from this materialism, we would find out that there is joy and contentment. The third reason I'm preaching about this is because if all that we, if, if we were just taken up with and, and captured by all that we have received in Christ, I, I think it would unleash this joy of giving that could potentially turn Greenville Spartanburg upside down. That we would not have announcements like I made to you this morning. That, that we would perhaps have to come before you and say, stop giving because we don't have enough places to send this. By the way, that's what they had to do in one area of Scripture. I preach this because I'm concerned for my soul and for yours. Because the Bible says things like, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? So I stand before you to read Matthew 6, 19 through 21, not as a, as a greedy preacher, 
but as one who understands what money can do and the good that it can be used for. Let's read, if you will, follow along with me as I read verses 19 through 21 of Matthew 6. Jesus says here in the Sermon on the Mount, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I'm not going to cover this, but look at verse 24. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. But you cannot serve God and money. Let me pray, and we'll walk through this together. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have cared enough to preserve in your word this subject of money. God, I pray that I would treat it biblically, that I would be faithful in the delivering of this this message. And God, that you might do a work among your people. Set us free, God, so that you might be magnified. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. First thing I want to show you is that in this passage, Jesus points to buried treasure. Now notice right off the bat, Jesus does not assume that that burying treasure is optional. He does not say, if you decide to bury treasure, don't put it on earth, instead put it in heaven. He doesn't say it at all. He assumes that everyone, to some degree or another, is burying treasure. We are investing in something. And he says that you're going to be investing somewhere, and it's going to be in one of two places, either earthly treasure or heavenly treasure. And he makes this assumption because it is absolutely true. He does not say if. He says simply do not and do. And he gives us these two realms. He's assuming here that we are all burying treasure, that we are all investing somewhere. Now, some would come to a passage like this, and they would skip over this passage because they would say something like, well, this passage really doesn't have anything to do with me because I don't have a whole lot of treasure. I mean, at least compared to a lot of people around me, I don't, I don't have hardly anything. So I could just sit this one out. And the, the pastor's talking to someone else this morning. But the reality is there is no, there is no disclaimer here. There is no, no qualifier here for the amount of treasure. Uh, you realize that every one of us in this room today, by the world's standards, is incredibly wealthy that every one of us is in the top few percentile of, of the wealthiest people on the planet. Even no matter what you make, sitting in this room, you are wealthy by world standards. And so this is all relative. You may say, according to or compared to that person, I don't. But let me just, if you're going to use that, that scale, then go the opposite way too. And look at those who are living in third world countries who have no shoes, no food, no, no water, They don't know where their next meal is going to come from. And they would say to you, I don't have any treasure compared to them. And so Jesus here assumes that every one of us is investing somewhere, no matter how much we have to invest. What he's pointing to here is that it matters where we put our treasure. So let me give you the truth about earthly treasure. Verse 19, he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. The truth about earthly treasure is twofold. Number one is it provides instant gratification. Earthly treasure, this is what it's about. It's about, man, I want to get what I want to get right now. Have we ever lived in a more right now society? I mean, never in our lives. You know, how many of you remember when, you know, if you were going to do a report in school, you had to go to the bookshelf and you had to pull off one of those blue books 
Remember the encyclopedias? You know, the Britannica, you know, somebody came around and, and was, you know, trying to earn college money or something and your parents bought them? That's what you had to do. Nowadays, while I'm saying this, you're fact-checking me on your phones. You don't have to go to a shelf somewhere. You have the world's knowledge in your pocket. We live in this instant gratification society. I don't have to labor this point very much to get you to understand. Just take a look at all the commercials and all the marketing that exists to get you to understand that you need what you need, and you need it right now. It's everywhere. I mean, you, you look at television and radio and Internet and magazines and newspapers, the sides of buses, clothing insignias, billboards, yard signs, products, street sign people that are out there doing their thing. You just go on down the list, and it's everywhere that you turn. You know, I watched college football yesterday, and I'm looking at some of these stadiums, and there's so many messages on all those boards and everywhere in that stadium, even down to the, the backs of the helmets and the underside of the cleats. There are these messages everywhere that you need this right now. You do a little Google search for something that you say, well, you know, we, we, need, to, we need to get this thing for our house or, or I'd like to have this thing for our house, and you just Google search it one time. You haven't decided yet whether you're going to, but what happens when you do a Google search? Next time you go to your Facebook or your social media, what pops up? All of a sudden, hey, how'd they know I was looking at dryers? You know? How'd they know I was researching Maytag? Well, all of a sudden, Maytag's right there, right? Our world is built on this, instant gratification. All of it is meant to convince you that you cannot wait, that you need it, in fact, that you probably even deserve it. I mean, you've worked hard. You shouldn't have to suffer without this. Just go get it. If you don't have the money for it, just finance it. It'll be okay because everybody's in debt. And this is the message of our world. You ever bought anything, that, bought something that you didn't need just because you saw it? maybe as you entered a store or on your way out by the registers? Anybody ever done that? Absolutely. You know why? Because there is an entire research science behind product placement. And they know what you're going to be thinking there as you're waiting because Walmart has 32 checkout lines and they have three of them open, right? And they say, oh, wow, you know, hey, captive audience. And that's, you buy stuff you'd, you'd never, I mean, if, if that keychain slash flashlight slash cell phone charger slash weather radio slash air freshener, whatever, you know, all in one product was out back by the milk, you'd never have bought that thing. But because it's right there, you bought it. You say, man, that thing's awesome. And you get home and it breaks before you get it out of the package. It's, our entire world is built on this. I mean, you watch commercials. There are these commercials right now for these things that make the perfect hard-boiled eggs and don't use any water. It just uses steam inside of this thing and never have a cracked egg in the water ever again. And you know these infomercials? The people that are operating these things have to be the most clumsy, inept people on the planet. Aren't they? Like, oh, I can't open a package, you know? And it's just you need whatever they're selling. There's prescription medicines. How many commercials do you see for prescription medicines? And I'm not downing prescription medicine. If, if you have something that you need that for, then by all means. But how many times have you watched a commercial and thought, I think I have that? You know? And you hear all these side effects like 
And I'm not going to go through them because some of them are pretty gross, you know. But you hear all these things and you say, ah, forget the side effects. I think I got that. Before you know, you're asking your doctor about it. Or you're Googling it and it's showing up on your Facebook page, right? This is the world in which we live. What happens to all this earthly treasure? The second truth about earthly treasure is not only does it provide instant gratification, but it ends in certain loss. Jesus said here, don't lay up treasure for yourself on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. You say, I don't know about certain loss. I mean, I can hang on to some things. That, you know, I mean, I can, I can you know, buy the warranty. I can, I can have insurance on this thing. I can set the burglar alarm. You know, I can take care of this. I can put a, I can put a case on this thing. But you've never seen a U-Haul behind a hearse. You've never seen someone taking those material goods out of this world. Whether you buy something and it lasts a lifetime for you, there's a reason why it's called a lifetime warranty. Because everyone knows that when your life is up, it stays behind. Luke 12, 16 through 21, Jesus knew this and Jesus told a parable in which he said this, a rich man's land was very productive. He thought to himself, what should I do since I don't have anywhere to store my crops? I will do this, he said. I'll tear down my barns. I'll build bigger ones. I'll store all my grain and my goods there. Then I'll say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy. Eat, drink, enjoy yourself. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life is demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? And that's how it, it will be with the one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. How do we know that we have tomorrow? How do we know that the thing that we are, we are putting on payments, that we're actually going to be able to enjoy? God doesn't promise us our next breath. Earthly treasure, every bit of it will be lost. It either leaves us while we live or we leave it when we die. It is certainly lost. This is earthly treasure. The truth about heavenly treasure. Verse 20, Jesus says, Don't lay up, 19, don't lay up treasure on earth where moth and rust, thieves break in and steal. But in verse 20, he says, But instead, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Now, notice something here. It's not the for yourselves that is what's wrong. Because Jesus here does not say it is wrong in, in verse 19 for you to store up treasure for yourself. And in verse, as long as they're heavenly, he doesn't say that it's, it's storing for yourself that's wrong. He still says in verse 20, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. What Jesus is doing here is he's showing that the truth about heavenly treasure is that it requires delayed gratification. It cannot be instant that it's, it's going to delay it. Jesus here instructs those who are true children of God, which is what he points to there in verse 26. He instructs us to delay gratification by laying up treasure in heaven. Why? Because that's our eventual home. This world is not our forever home. But how often do we treat it like it is? Philippians chapter 3, 17 through 4, verse 1 says, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears... Walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. The glory, their, their glory is, the, is their shame uh, with, with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. 
And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. Therefore, brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm and believe my beloved. This is here, Jesus here in, in our passage pointing to the fact that we should lay up treasures in heaven. Paul there in Philippians pointing to the fact that our citizenship is not here, it is in heaven. To which I would ask the question, do we really believe that? Do we really believe that this world is not our home? And if we do believe, then why do we spend so much of the treasure that God places into our care on things that will not last? You know, I love some of these survival shows. I don't watch a whole lot of TV, but some of these survival shows on Discovery or whatever, you know. Um, one of our, it's not a survival show, but Alaska, The Last Frontier, we like this show, you know. And, and they're kind of set up, they're, you know, they're um, homesteaders in, in Alaska. But every now and then they'll go out and they'll, they'll hunt. They'll go somewhere out and they're in, 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 the, in the cold and they're hunting. You know what they don't do when, when they get there and set up their camp? They don't say, okay, now over here is going to be the garage. And over here, back here, we're going to do this master suite because it's going to have this, room, this window that can look at, over the lake back here. And over here, we're going to do this. They don't do any of that. What do they do? They simply build a structure that keeps them out of the elements. They simply have a source of water, and they have fire, and they have some sort of shelter that will cover them if it is raining or snowing. This is all they do. Why? Because they realize that they're out in the wild. The structure that they build is open concept because they don't need anything else, right? They, they realize they're not out there to stay. They're eventually trying to get back to civilization. And I would pose to you that based on our lifestyles and the way that we spend our money, it says we have become content to live in the wild and we don't care if we ever get back to civilization. We have forgotten this, and, and we've become content here. This, we, we, we must delay gratification knowing that this world is not our home. But it also, what happens to this treasure? If, if the earthly treasure, is, it ends with loss, what happens to this heavenly treasure? Well, it ends with certain gain. It has to. Jesus here points out that he says, neither moth nor rust destroys, thieves don't break in and steal. I mean, what could possibly destroy or, or steal treasure that's guaranteed by God in heaven? Remember, we're not that far away from it. Remember 2008 and 2009? You remember the recession? People lost thousands of dollars. People lost their jobs. When I moved here as your pastor nine years ago, we, we had bought a house in Georgia at the height of the market. We moved there in 2007, and, and things were still good at that point. And we bought this house and paid top dollar for this house. When I moved here in, in 2009, the bottom had dropped out. And we sat on that house for two years when we moved here. We couldn't sell it. We couldn't get rid of it. This is, we, we understand full well that, that earthly treasure can go away in a hurry. But who or what is, is going to snatch heavenly treasure out of God's hands. I would submit to you that God is too wise to make poor invest, investments, that God is too rich to overspend, that God is too sovereign to be surprised by climate changes or international conflicts or engineering accidents. 
market downturns, that God is too strong to be overtaken, that there will be nothing, as, as Ethan read that passage earlier, speaking largely of the gospel and not material things, but I think you can apply this there. Romans 8, what can separate us from the love of God? It goes on there in that passage to say, and he read it earlier, verse 32, if he didn't even spare his son, will he not also give you all things? There's nothing that's going to snatch this heavenly treasure out of his hands. Now, I would commend to you a little book by Randy Alcorn called The Treasure Principle. It's a, it's a short little book. You can read it very quickly. Um, and in that, Randy Alcorn makes an incredible point. He says this. This is the treasure principle. You can't take anything with you, but you can send it on ahead. You can send it on ahead. How do you do that? Well, number one, you obey Jesus here, and you don't lay up treasures on earth. You know, what, is, what does this treasure on earth do to us? Doesn't it make us always want more? Isn't there always something new coming out? There's a new phone, there's a new computer, there's a new style, there's a new this, there's a new that. We always want more. We want the bigger, we want the better, we want the, we want the latest model. We're never satisfied or content. And Jesus here says, if you're going to lay up treasure in heaven, if you're going to send it on ahead, it's going to require that you discipline yourself to delay gratification. You don't lay up treasures here on earth. But the second half of that is, the way you send it on ahead is that you live simply while you're here and you give generously in ways that magnify Jesus, that make much of him. That you, that you live, you, you put governors on your spending. I hope you know that as, as human beings, our tendency, if, if, your, if your level of income increases, what typically is going to happen? Most people are going, you, your level of, of spending is going to rise to meet that or exceed that, right? And so God doesn't say, I, I'm going to raise your standard of, 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 um, of, of, uh, of income so that you can raise your standard of living. This is being taught and preached everywhere you look, that God wants you to be happy. There are pastors that have TV shows right now that, that fly jets and everything else that are telling people all the time that, man, if you'll just get right with God, God's going to give you all this stuff. This is not the message of the Bible. Jesus here says, don't lay up treasures on earth, lay up treasures in heaven. He doesn't raise your standard of income so that he can raise your standard of living, but so that he can raise your standard of giving. That you can put a governor on how much you're going to live on to say, it is reasonable for my family and I to, to live on this amount. And then as, as your income goes up, to say, God, I want to invest my life and the things that you put in my hands above this, and I will give it away for your own namesake to make much of you. This is what Jesus is pointing to in Luke chapter 12, verses 32 and 33, when he said, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions, give to the needy, provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. What Jesus here is saying is the way that you lay up treasure in heaven is that you sell those things and you give them away. Now, I understand. Don't hear me wrong. There is nothing wrong with having, having stuff. There's, I mean, stuff is, is, is not moral. It's not immoral. It's, it's amoral. It's neither good or bad, right? I mean, money is neither good nor bad. The, the Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. It doesn't say money is. Money, money can be a tool used to, for, for great good, or it can be a tool that's used for, for terrible things. It, it can be an, an, an instrument of idolatry, or it can be an instrument of godly worship. 
And that's what's being pointed to here is that Jesus says that, that you would live reasonably, you would live simply, and you would give away and be generous to make, to make much of him. Uh, Luke 14, verses 13 and 14, Jesus also said, but when you give a feast, invite the poor, invite the crippled and the lame, the blind, and you'll be blessed because they cannot repay you. Now, in our day and age, we would look at that and say, that doesn't make sense. The math's wrong on that. Maybe that's a misprint. You should invite all these people because they can't repay you. Because in our day and age, we say you invite the people that, that will benefit you. You invite the ones that will either, either be able to repay you financially or that will elevate your status or something else. But Jesus says, no, don't worry about any of that. Invite those because they can't repay you, but your heavenly Father will. So I would say to you this, this morning, I'm almost through, but how are you doing? This, this sermon has a, a, has a real potential to be real condemning, for me, me to be elevated on this platform and you seated low and it, to feel like I'm really just talking down to you, I'm condescending and I'm, I'm shaming you and heaping guilt on you. And that's not the intent at all. I really want to ask this question, really how are you doing in this area? When it comes to your money and your possessions and your generosity, for those of you who are in Christ, how are you doing? You would expect nothing less. If, if I were up here speaking about, about uh, purity or, or about gossip or anything else, you would expect me to ask that question, how are you doing in this area? So when it comes to money, the subject that Jesus spoke about 15% of the time, how are you doing? Are you gratifying your flesh instantly with treasures that will not last? I want you to know as your pastor, I don't know who gives what. I have no idea who, who gives what. I don't, know, I don't even know who gives. I mean, I have no clue. I don't want to know. Because as soon as I know, the temptation of my flesh will be to look at some people differently. I will look at so-and-so and I'll say, man, I need to give that person more attention because you can't afford to lose them. And then I might look at someone else and say, huh, I just ignore them. I mean, they're not, they're not in it anyway. And so I don't want to know that. I want to be able to pastor you as your pastor without knowing any of that. But here's what I do know. If, if this rings true with where we are as a culture, I know that there are a whole lot of you, or not a whole lot, I shouldn't say that. I know there, there are some in here that you are not laying up treasure in heaven. You are laying up a whole lot of treasure on earth. You are stockpiling and you are trusting in the things that Jesus says directly to you that the moth will eat and the rust will destroy and the thief will steal. And you are looking at the things that he says, store up treasure in heaven, and you're not doing it. And I would not be a loving pastor to you if I did not point that out to you. I'm pleading with you. I'm pleading with you to delay pleasure now for treasure that you will enjoy forever. Verse 21 tells us that X marks the spot. Verse 21 says, Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I'm not preaching to you today a gospel of works. I started out by telling you, I'm not saying to you that if you'll start giving, that you will somehow buy your way into heaven. If you could buy your way into heaven, then why did Jesus come? It would not, be, not have been necessary for Jesus to come and live and die in your place. You cannot buy your way into heaven, and that's not what this message is teaching. 
This message is, though, teaching that those who have been saved by the grace of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ should be the most generous people on the planet, both with their time and their volunteering and with the money and the resources, the material goods that God places into your hands. X marks the spot. Jesus says here that, that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I'm making an appeal to those who have had their hearts changed by the gospel of grace. That those who have received infinitely more from Christ than they ever will from this world. Those who have come to know God as, as a loving heavenly father who owns everything and who knows what you need and promises to provide. Will you trust him? Will you, will you come to see that he who did not spare even his own son, will he not also give you all things? Will you look at the, the verse 33 there in Matthew 6? And will you seek first his kingdom and trust that all these things will be added to you? We live in a, in a day where, where money, pleasure, happiness, these are in some ways acceptable gods in our day and age. They have no place among the people of God. If I were to ask you the question, what would be the number one financial goal? I pray that you would say, to glorify God with my money, to make much of him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you, God, for your word. God, I pray, Lord, that, uh, that you would take it now, and God, that you would bring it home to your people. Lord, that you would cause it to be received. Lord, that you would not allow the enemy to snatch it away. That Satan's infestation of, of birds would not be able to fly in and steal it. That the thorns of the cares of this world would not grow up and choke it out. But God, that you might cause the seed of your word to fall on good soil. And God, that you might cause it to produce fruit. Lord, would you do it for your own namesake? Would you do it for the sake of these, your children? Would you cause us, Lord, to not trust in anything besides you? And God, would you show yourself to be so trustworthy? It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. I want to give you an opportunity to reflect on what's been said and to respond as God leads. If that requires coming and praying, then please do. If you'd like to have a conversation with me, I'll be seated on the front row. I'd love to, to speak with you. I'd love to be able to pray with you. If today you're here, you heard a message lar largely to the body, but if maybe you're here today and, and you don't know Christ as your Savior, you know, today there's no better day for you to come to know Him, to receive from Him what you cannot ever receive from the world, the forgiveness of your sins, a calling to the table of God, to come close to Him, to have His home forever promised to you, Today, if, if that's you, I'd love to speak with you and, and to lead you to Christ. Whatever it is that God is calling you to do, would you respond in worship? Respond as he leads. This time of teaching is brought to you by Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com.